Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Second Peter. Second Peter, way back there in the back. Most of y'all electronic, so y'all worry about all that. Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter two. We're gonna start at verse nine. Second Peter chapter two, verse nine. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, speak and speak clearly, God. Give us understanding. Truly allow your word to penetrate our hearts, to transform our minds, Father God, and to renew our relationships to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> we're picking up in Second Peter chapter 9. And what we're going to be talking about is this concept called Christian liberty. Uh, our, our liberty in Christ. And it's a very common Christian or a church concept. People say we're free in Christ and we got liberty in Christ. And actually this was a weird week in preparing because every day I look at the scriptures that we're going to be looking at and I was saying I'm looking at this for later. It's like we're going to be talking about this like in January sometime. Because I ain't want to talk about it, right? <laughs> but I think that's what we're supposed to talk about. And the thing that, the tricky part in it, because in my mind, this goes with our understanding of what it means to be a church. And mainly what we've been talking about is our response to sin. And so I've been wrestling with, like, how does this fit? It don't go with what we're talking about, but it's what we're supposed to be talking about. So we're going to talk about it. But the amazing thing is, so in thinking about it, trying to make it fit, what I did was I went on Google. Some I really don't use that often. I really don't. Because I'm a rebel by nature, so I don't use Google. <laughs> Since all y'all use Google, I can't use it. But I went on Google, and I just typed in Christian Liberty. whole bunch of websites and things came up, and I was being discreet and saying being very thorough and I didn't want to pick on nobody. So I went to the theologians that I knew, the ones that I trusted. And an amazing thing happened. There's this common definition of Christian liberty that's out there. Some great theologians, some folks I sit down and listen to, buy their books and all that good stuff. And they all saying the same things as to just blog site hacks. And it's Christian liberty is our freedom to do whatever the Bible does not Strictly forbids. That's the common definition. So we're talking about Christian liberty in that world. It means we can do whatever the Bible strictly forbids us. I mean, we can do whatever the Bible doesn't strictly forbid us from doing. And that's their understanding of Christian liberty. But in that, it creates a lot of confusion and a lot of chaos. Because as I walk around and talk to everyday people, people justify a whole lot of crazy things by their liberty in Christ. And we get this concept when they run into people like Jay, because I ain't like him. He gets to be this legalistic, tightwad guy who restricts people from having fun and restricts people from enjoying their life. That's his reputation. I should know. I have to be his apology. Because <laughs> people don't know me, but they know him. And they get to talk about him, <laughs> about how hard and how mean he is and how he just be, won't let nobody do nothing. He's super legalistic. 
So I have to discreetly say, why you say that? Because they don't know that I know them. Because <laughs> they don't know me. <laughs> and I end up in these arguments defending Jay. Yep. <laughs> but the amazing thing is, when it all boils down to it, it's this idea that has crept into the church and in the minds of most people where you have a standard of right living that means you're legalistic. So to have a standard, to have some disciplines, to have some concept of holiness other than the fact that you just get to be with God means you're legalistic. And so what we have is this confusion and this chaos where people are trying to say that we're trying to take away their liberty. But is that truly what liberty means? Does it mean we can do whatever the Bible says we can't do? Is, is that what it means? And so what we're going to do is just take a little journey. We might not make it all the way through this journey. And we're going to take this journey from the back to the front and just try to get out an understanding of what Christian liberty is not before we can understand what it is. So let's look. And this is going to lay our foundation. Starting in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It said, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the ungodly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of their unrighteousness as they that count in pleasure to ride in the daytime. Spots they are in blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart that have exercised with the covetous practice, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Besor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb donkey speaking with the man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they are lured through the lust of their flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. For after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit and the soul that was washed to her swallowing in the mire. These are some heavy words from, from Peter here. And what he is describing is this group of people that came into the church and began to be ministers and teachers, leaders, apostles, whatever they were branding themselves. And they began to bring in another form of doctrine that was different from what the apostles was teaching. And so all that we have read was his description of who these people are. And his idea is that God has these people marked. That they on God's hit list. 
And that's his contrast to the verse we was talking about last week, that God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. That's God's skill. But he also got a, a, a contrast to skill. That he know how to keep those folks who are unjust so that they can make it to the day of judgment. So just how he can save you and deliver you out of temptation, he can hold you under his hand of wrath and make sure that you make it to the day of judgment. And what he is describing is this the judgment that is reserved for this group of people. And this group of people are people who has come in to take away the freedom that we have in Christ. But the point that we want to stick on is in verse 19, he said, while they have promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. So this group of people have a doctrine that they teach you about your freedom in Christ. But in promising you freedom and promising you liberty, he says they themselves are servants of corruption. And the picture is that you have a group of ministers who are driven by their lust. That the things in their heart is what dictates what they do, what they preach, and how they live. And you can see it when we look on the scene. These same type of ministers are here today. That you have churches where the man of God is standing. He'll teach you about grace. They don't use liberty in some of them. Grace is to do new work. Grace, and they teach you about the grace of God and how beautiful the grace of God is. And in this grace of God, you have all this freedom and don't let people judge you. Don't let people put condemnation on you because we live in grace and we're not in a legalistic world. But then an amazing thing happened. A lot of these grace preachers end up caught. And you have grace preachers telling you about this great grace, but then they're sleeping with the secretaries and they sleeping around with the, 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 the praise and worship leaders and they're train, changing wives and all this type of things, but their main message is grace. And they're telling you about your freedom and grace. And what Peter is saying that these people who are preaching to you liberty are themselves bound. So the understanding we must get is that whatever we mean by liberty, whatever we mean by freedom, is not the freedom to serve our lusts. That if our lives are characterized by the desires and dictates of our hearts, we don't have true freedom. Because Jesus told us this, that he who commits sin is a servant to sin. That's what you are once you commit sin. So you cannot be truly free in a bond servant at the same time. And that's the picture that Peter is painting. That whatever these people are preaching is not liberty. And he, he and verse 20. It says, for if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. So Peter is painting this, this, this picture. These people received Christ, was living the way they were supposed to, and got turned back to their same old lust. And what he's saying is it's better for them if nobody ever would have taught them about Jesus. That they, that would have been better for their soul than to be known the way of righteousness and to turn from that way of righteousness. And his idea is, is the true proverb is true. Going back to the proverbs, that the dog is returned to his own vomit and the swine is back to swallowing in their own mire. And what he gives is twofold picture. And it's a two-fold picture we want to carry with us when we look at the rest of the scriptures. The one is the vomit. 
dog returning to his own vomit. Now, when vomit is happening, it happens because you have ingested something that don't quite sit right with your system. It is something that brings defilement and corruption in and your body forces it out. So that was something you're not supposed to eat. That means something was going on inside of you that causes this not to sit well with you and it had to be forced out. And the picture he paint is, is this thing that has been taken out from you that you have been purged from, you're going back to taste on it. Why would you eat it again? Your body has rejected it. Why would you eat it again? And the picture is, is that there's something that has been purged from these people. Their lusts, their passions, their desires. Why would you play with it again? If you've been delivered from it, why play with it? So whatever your understanding of liberty is, it cannot give you the freedom to play with those things that have been purged from you. Even though they're in a different form, it's the same thing. And it gives the picture of the pig, the swine, getting back in the mud, rolling around. And the idea is there's something you have been washed from. God has cleansed you. Why would you get back in the same mess that you had to be cleansed from? Cleansed from. And when I think about this, I always get the picture. And when mama get you ready to go somewhere. We got some mamas in here, and I'm pretty sure vast majority of them have done this. You get the babies, you get them cleaned up, you get their nice clothes on, Vaseline the face all up, got them shining. <laughs> and you tell them, now it's your turn to get dressed. Y'all sit down, don't do nothing. And the amazing thing always happens. Soon as you leave, kids get to run around, they get to plan. They get to sweating, get stank. And the mama come in fussing. Didn't I tell y'all to sit down? Don't go out that door. You ain't going nowhere with me smelling like outdoors. Then you make them go take a whole nother shower again. Like, man, I was on outside for two minutes. And the amazing thing is everybody stank to mama once they go out the door. Like, all of a sudden, you stank. Go take a bath. Like, mama, you just bathed me and scrubbed me. But that's the picture that Peter is painting here. I took something away from you. This thing is something that was not supposed to be on you. I cleansed you. Now you need to sit down. Don't go out there playing with the same stuff to get that same funk back on you again. Sit down. That's what Peter is telling you. Sit yourself down. Because you ain't going nowhere with me stinking. Knowing you ain't going to leave my home by yourself, but you still going to make that threat anyway. But so once we think about this liberty and as we walk, let's keep this contrast in mind. And we're going to build this picture on out. That there's some people, they're telling you, you can be free and you're free in Christ. But they're living in all type of sin. In the eyes of the gospel and in the eyes of the Bible, being in sin and being free ain't the same thing. Because once you sin, you're a servant to it. And once you're free from sin, you should be separated from it. Y'all got the picture. So the liberty that these folks who are living in sin promising you ain't true liberty because they themselves are bound. Go flip over one book. Well, y'all can't flip. Y'all got them electronic Bible. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I mean, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. 
says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as to them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. This is is pretty heavy passage here. In verse 13, he's giving this rule down, this standard down. And the idea is we're supposed to submit ourselves, it says, to every ordinance of man, but the key part in that is for the Lord's sake. So there's rules that the government has set down. We're supposed to obey them. But the reason we obey them, he says, is for the Lord's sake. Everybody catch that. So when we around here, we being law-abiding citizens, we're not doing it because we don't want to go to jail. We're not doing it because we want people to think we're good people. He said, we do it for the Lord's sake. That's going to make sense as we go forward. So whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him to punish evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So what Peter's mind is, is we live in this world as representatives of God. And the way that we live and interact in this world with the governments, with the rulers, and with the people who are in authority reflects the nature and the wisdom of God. So we represent God. So when you're on your job, you should be the best employee that they have. Because the way you relate to your boss, you do it for the Lord's sake. And you are building up or tearing down the representation of Christ by the way that you interact with your employer. And he said we do this as free. Now that don't make no sense. Especially if we put this in this historical setting. Because Peter were writing to people who was under persecution. In his early times where Peter wrote this thing, especially in Jerusalem, the believers could get no relief. The Jews were harder on the Christians than the pagans were at this time. People were being run out, taken away from their homes, kicked out of the synagogues. They were losing inheritance. All of these type of things were going on to these people. At the same time, they was under Roman authority. So they weren't even free as a nation. And then them as a subset of this nation, they were not free to roam the streets and be who they were as Christians. So they weren't free at all. You had the slaves beating up the other slaves pretty much. And what Peter's saying is, since you're free, you serve the masters for the Lord's sake. And the picture he's getting is, is this. We got a brand new Lord and Savior. We got a new king. Pilate ain't our king. Caesar is not our king. The Sanhedrin don't rule over us. We obey Jesus. That's the picture that they got. We understand who you truly are and what your place is truly on this planet. We ain't got to serve you. That's the mindset that a Christian can have. Like, who are you? Don't you know one day I'm going to judge angels? That I'm a king and priest in the kingdom of God? You can't tell me what to do. I listen to one Lord and one Savior, one ruler. That's Jesus Christ himself. He tell you what to do. 
And the only reason you are what you are is because God let you be that. We can talk like that as believers. We have that freedom. We have that right. We have that authority. But we don't use it. What Peter is saying is, you can do whatever it is God tells you to do and you ain't got to worry about no man. But you take that freedom and you use it to serve men. So we put ourselves in subjection to men, not because we believe these people are powerful and can do something to us. Not because we fear them and the consequences of our not obeying them. We do it because we serve the Lord and we have a testimony to reach these people. We have an obligation to represent him and to bring peace on this planet. That's why we serve them. So when we understand our liberty and our freedom in Christ, what we need to understand is that our liberty is bound by our duty to God. We're not free to do whatever we want to do. We're free to do whatever he tells us to do. And in our freedom, we live in subjection to others. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So the reason I am the best employee my boss got is because I do whatever my employee tell me to do. And the reason I do whatever they tell me to do is not because I'm scared I'm going to lose my job. I'm scared I'm going to get demoted. I'm scared I'm going to get rolled up and lose some money. It's because I love God. And I understand that all authority that is on this planet, he put it in place. And I represent him when I'm dealing with people. And it is my responsibility as an ambassador of Christ to bring peace to this planet. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And that's our liberty. This don't sound fun, do it? Because we probably be talking about our right to get tattoos and, and to drink and do all that stuff. That, that's our liberty of Christ. Well, no, that ain't what the Bible's talking about. The Bible's talking about our right to humble ourselves and to serve people. We do it as free men because we're Christ's slave. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So whatever your concept of liberty is, it cannot give you the freedom to follow your lust. And it cannot give you the freedom to be disobedient to the government that we have in here. We live in subjection because we're free to serve Christ. Y'all with me? Now this picture going to get a whole lot more murky. We ready? Go to 2 Corinthians. Nope. Matter of fact, we just keep going in order. Stop by Galatians. Keep flipping backwards. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. All right, start reading that verse 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, our Paul say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a devil to do the whole law. For Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you who are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. No pause right there. I catch everybody up. Now what we got going on here in the book of Galatians is there's a group of Jewish people who came into the church at Galatia and began to teach. And one of their main teaching was, since y'all believe in Jesus, and Jesus was a Jew, that's what Jesus was. He was a Jewish person. And he lived by the Jewish customs laid down by Moses. 
And so their understanding was real Christians are Jews. At this time, most of the Christians were Jews. So once these people who were not Jewish start to get saved, the Jewish people came in and they start to put the Jewish customs and traditions on them. But what happened was they tied these customs and traditions to their salvation. So if you really want to be a child of God, you have to be circumcised because that was the law of Moses. That this is the sign that you belong to Abraham, the fact that you are circumcised. So once these people started to get saved, because everybody wants circumcised like we are nowadays, what they were saying is, if you really want to be a child of God, you have to be circumcised. And they added more customs. And they were bringing these customs and putting these bondages on the people. And what Paul was saying is that you are free from those bondages. None of those things have anything to do with your salvation, whether or not you circumcise, what food you eat, what feast days you celebrate. He's saying that don't have anything to do with your celebration, I mean with your freedom. So his picture, what he commanded them to do is to hold fast in your liberty. So don't you allow people to put bondages on you and connect those things to your salvation because you're free from those things. You don't got to do that to be saved. So that's his command to hold fast in your liberty. And his idea is that we wait for the righteousness, which is through faith. And his idea is we know that God, God has a righteousness that comes to us and we only get it by faith. And we're going to hold our ground to get that. We're not going to seek it in any other thing. Are y'all with me? So that's the picture that he painted. And just, just for now, the same time, let's catch it up to speed because we don't have people demanding us to be circumcised no more. We lost that. But what we do have is people putting traditions on us and connecting those traditions to our salvation. I, I just pick with the one we've been picking on for a couple of weeks. This idea of deliverance. If we truly hold with this idea of deliverance, what they're saying is true righteousness comes from your willingness to go through these certain steps. That you can only be truly free, you can only be truly righteous if you follow these rituals or these routines. And what they're doing is bringing us back into a boat, a, a yoke of bondage. Because we've been freed from traditions. We've been freed from the commandments of men. We don't have to do those things. True righteousness comes from Christ. And all we have to do is rest in hope and faith in him. And anything that turns me away from believing in Jesus and trusting in Christ to free me is something that's bringing me into bondage, not setting me free. Because now every time I got a problem, I have to turn to this thing. I cannot turn to Christ because Christ didn't set you free. And that's the picture that he's painting when he said that once you be circumcised, you're bound to do the whole law. Because the idea is once you do this one thing saying this going to make me right, you got to do everything that's connected to this that they tell you going to make you right. And what we're saying is that once we get these church traditions and they tell us you got to do this ritual that's going to make us right, everything that goes in it, you got to hold to it because that becomes your standard of righteousness. Well, we we free from that. We don't have to hold to any traditions that is not laid down by God, Christ, Jesus himself to get up our free. That true righteousness, we wait for it, we hope for it, we have faith for it, we don't seek traditions to get it. And that's the picture that he's painting here. So now, now let's keep that in mind as we go forward. 
in um, verse 7, he said, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion coming not of him that called you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. It's like, I know y'all going to do the right thing. That you're going to have this thing and you're going to be stand free in Christ. And whoever it is that's trying to bring you to judgment. I mean, into abundance, they're going to bear their judgment. God going to deal with them. Don't you worry about that. You hold to your freedom. Now watch this. And I, brethren, if I preach, yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then it's the offense of the cross cease. I would they were even cut off with trouble you. For, brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This, this is heavy. In the picture that Paul is painting, say you have been called to liberty. This is what we've been called to. We've been called to freedom in Christ. That's the place that God wants you to be. He wants you to be totally and completely free, not bound by anything. But then Paul gives this warning. Only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. And what? And I love that word occasion. Because literally what it could be used is like you get the picture of gymnastics. Anybody watch the gymnastics? And when they do the, the little vault thing, when they run and they take off and they do the little vault, they have the little springboard thing in front of them. And they hit that thing and you train and hit it just right and it propels them in there and they do all type of twists and flips and all that type of thing. But the things that they can do when they're vaulting, they cannot do when they're just running and flipping. Because they get some extra height off that vault. It's a springboard. And that's the same picture that Paul is painting here when he says, use not your liberty as an occasion for the flesh. That word can be used the same way. Use is not as a pedestal, as something to pump up the flesh. So what he, the picture he painted is, is that there are some people who got an idea of liberty. And this basic idea of liberty gives them the freedom to prop up their fleshly desires. So they use this to get to the desires of the flesh. It holds those fleshly desires up. No, you don't do that. In the contrast, he gives, but in love, serve one another. Like, well, how does that tie to not using your liberty as an occasion for the flesh? Because this is a picture and idea. Is that when we talk about this occasion for the flesh, and we're talking about our freedom is usually connected to social settings. That there's a certain amount of things that we connect to socially where our freedom really comes in. And we have to understand that the gospel we have received places us into a family. We have to un-Americanize ourselves. I talk like the woke people. See, we got to get rid of this colonized mindset. <laughs> Tell them woke for a second. And what I mean by the colonized mindset is that your salvation is your own. That you have your own individual personal relationship with Jesus and that's what it's all about. That's a lie. 
You have been engrafted into a family. You are part of the household of God. And your salvation is connected to the salvation of the people around you. We saved together. Y'all understand that? So me using my liberty as an occasion to the flesh has a reflect or has an impact on everybody around me. Because my liberty is usually connected in social settings. Because I have to justify myself before people as to why I can and cannot do certain things. Because when I'm talking to myself and I'm by my own self, I ain't no need for justification. I just be wrong and hope people don't find out. But when I'm with people, that's when this thing get a little murky. Because what you have is you have various traditions. You have various cultures and you have various backgrounds that are being blended together. I come from a completely different background than Basil. Our social understanding is totally different. I was exposed to and connected to some things that she couldn't even fathom in her mind. And vice versa. She lived in cultures and was exposed to and connected to things that I could never understand and imagine. Like how in the world? And in all those things, in the variations of our culture and our background, there is some overlap. That allows us to be human and to relate to one another. But these places of differences creates certain standards. Some some people call them. I just what what's what's the I gotta be woke again. Ethnicity, whatever that word means. So it gives me my ethnicity. I'm saying I'm, I'm trying to be woke. I'm preach to y'all like we in, in 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 the New Age church. So our different ethnicities cause us to have conflict. As we begin to congregate together. And these various ethnicities creates a, a certain frictions that needs to be smoothed out by the goodness of the gospel. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So when we talk about our liberty in Christ, what we need to understand is that our ethnicities are things that should be celebrated. But our ethnicities are not things that should be held over other people. That word don't work. I'm playing. Because <laughs> it don't work. <laughs> I was trying to make it work, but it don't. Say it in my regular way like I come to see the pop. <laughs> it's a certain thing that we do that other folk don't understand. And we can't take those certain things that we do that other folk don't understand and hold those things over other people and force those people to do those things that other folks don't understand. And whatever those things are that we do that other folks don't understand, we cannot use those things as a justification for our flesh. Give an example. Me as a project baby, there's certain things about my culture and my upbringing that I just picked up, not even realized. It's just going through school and being out in the streets and out in the project, certain things that don't happen. And really, at work, really peaked to me that, like, hold on, man, you're a real deal project, baby. It help you understand. Because, I'll give you an easy one, a, a, a one that seemed bad, y'all can understand it. Now, there are certain things that is deemed disrespectful in certain cultures. 
And one of those things that can lead to fighting is the way people look at you and the way they cross you. And what I mean by cross you is not how they do something wrong to you, but literally cross you, like walk in front of you. It can cause a fight. I've seen it. Like I said, my mama had to come up to school a lot of times and take off work and use a lot of that good leave that she could have got in retirement, but she had to burn it because <laughs> her baby was bad. And a lot of those things came out of different ethnicities because there are certain things in certain cultures that people didn't take as disrespect. But where I was from, the old folk trained me that you don't let folk walk in front of you in a certain way. Like if I'm talking, it means my partner do something, somebody walk straight in the middle of our conversation. I was trained through culture that that's in the front, that he trying to start something. Now, I was a dummy when I was young. So I was trying to live up to the reputation that I'm from Cedar Park. So when the dude do that, I push him. And a fight start. All because I have been trained that man walking in front of you like that, he, he, he testing you. And you can't let nobody test you because if they test you and you don't do nothing, you're going to be a punk for the rest of your life. That's the way I would train. Now, once I'm saved, believing in Jesus, I got some of these same things in the back of my mind because it's been close to 20 some years of living like this. Now when people cross me, I have a decision to make. Because y'all can't judge me by y'all ethnicities, your social customs, and the thing that you do. Y'all don't understand where I come from. So when somebody walk in front of me, now I'm a Christian, I ain't going to slap them, I'm going to punch them, I'm going to push them down. I'm going to have to say something though. And what Paul is getting at is that that's me using my freedom to not be judged by you as an occasion to the flesh. Because it ain't that spiritual in me trying to check a dude just because he walked in front of me. Who do I think I am? It's something wicked in me that think I have to defend myself at every affront that seems to be disrespectful. I ain't got to do that. So my freedom from your culture because y'all can colonize me, gives me the right to tell you, well, you don't understand where I'm from, and we just don't do things like that. Because I, I owe me, I would have slapped him. At least I ain't slapping him. I just told him he needs to sit his tail down somewhere before he make me lose my salvation. Now y'all church folk get, go off on people. Who child, if I want to say? Who <laughs> Jesus. Y'all go off on folk. Y'all understanding what I'm saying though? And the idea that the picture that Paul is painting is that you can't use your freedom to justify your wickedness. You can't use the fact that can't nobody tell you what to do to justify you living in your flesh. And the amazing thing he he follows this up with, and on the contrast, what you do is you love one another. Now we're going to expand this thing out a little bit. Holidays coming up. And one amazing thing about being Christian in the holidays is that you get to be with your family. And what makes that so bad is most of our family ain't Christian. Even the ones who is ain't. (laughs) That's just the reality of it. 
And now you have to put your saved, holy, sanctified selves most of the time in a culture that ain't even close to it. In a context that ain't even close to it. And now you have this struggle within, especially the youngins. Because I'll give you a young one. If you young, you like down at the bottom. You the knee baby. You got mama, sisters, brothers, aunties, uncles. All these people at some time to change your diaper. And now you finna bring your holy self around them and tell them what they can and can't do. That generally don't go over too well. Because every last one of them to change your diaper before. They done dug the boogers out your nose. Now you finna bring, like I said, bring your holy self around them and tell them what they can and can't do. And what generally ends up happening is you get into a position where you have to compromise. And that compromise end up being they do what they always do and you finding a way to fit in with it. That's the idea. And people usually justify this action by their liberty in Christ. Because Paul became all things to all people that he may win some. So I really don't believe I'm supposed to be drinking. But my sister drank. My uncle drank. My auntie drank. And they're going to give me something to drink. And they're going to tell me, child, don't take all that. You still be saved and drink you a little something. And with all the conviction in your heart telling you, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't for me. Because you got the liberty and you supposed to love people, what you end up doing is you compromise. And you end up violating your conscience and doing the thing that God done told you in your own heart you need to be doing. And we get in this position where there are some Christian ministers who are going to give us the right to do that because we have the liberty. What Paul is saying, no, no, no. You don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. That you know these are things that provoke certain things in you. You don't be doing it. You shouldn't be doing these things because you have been cleansed from them. God has vomited them out of you. And don't use your liberty and your claiming to love your family as a means for you to get yourself tangled back up into this same stuff. You don't do that. And that's why he follows this thing up with the famous passage of this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So what he's getting at is if when we make these liberty decisions, we don't make them. We allow the spirit of God to lead us. Because what we're supposed to do is not to bite and devour one another. We're supposed to live for peace. We're supposed to live for harmony. But whatever that harmony is, it cannot be made by my flesh. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So our understanding of liberty cannot give us the freedom to serve flesh, but it must give us the responsibility to serve people. And the way that we do this is by walking in the spirit. So that when we had our Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas feasts and all these get together and everybody doing whatever it is they're doing, what's the new thing everybody doing now? I don't know. Y'all got to keep me updated. Don't act like you don't know because you in church. 
What, what they, they wobbling now? They ain't wobbling no more? Huh? I told y'all I don't know now, so I'm going to be old. What, what, what they doing? All right, just, just raise it. Just answer yourself in secret. Whatever it is that they're doing. You know how this make your mind work. If you got the conviction that you ain't supposed to be wobbling and, 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 and doing whatever it is you're doing, what you're supposed to do is allow your interactions to be dictated by the Spirit of God. So this whole time you in this family communion, what you need to be in this whole time is in communion with the Holy Spirit of God and trying to get him to give you the wisdom of how do you navigate these times, maintain your holiness, and not bring yourself back into bondage because you claim to be free. Are y'all everybody understanding what I'm saying? Because it's like I said, he could be some crazy times. Because we love our family. We're supposed to be with our family. And I encourage you to be with your family. When they're doing whatever it is they're doing, be with them. But don't be doing whatever it is they're doing. Are everybody understanding what I'm saying? In the way that you make these decisions, because Paul follows it up. Like I said, that, that, that thing, fruits of the spirit thing, all that flows from this same conversation. So that's why he follows it up with this I say then. So the way that we navigate these things is we don't make these decisions. We allow the spirit of God to make these decisions for us. So our freedom is bound by the spirit that's within us. We ain't free to do whatever we want to do. We're free to do whatever he tell us to do. And our misconception has come in because we have taken freedom to mean I get to make certain decisions in my life. That's a lie. You get to make the ones that's in line with the spirit of God. Like, my children get to pick what they want to eat. Do they want to eat what their mama cook, or do they want to eat nothing? They had the freedom to make that choice. <laughs> Sadly, that's freedom. And we ain't going to get mad at them if they pick nothing. But since we're the lords over the house, we set up the choice. <laughs> and it works the same way in the spirit of God. He's the Lord of your life. So he leads, he guides, he gives you the choices. You don't just make them decisions on your own. And if the only reason you're doing what you're doing, if you go into it because I'm saying I'm with my family, and then they, but you're wrong. Even if you're right, you're wrong. And what I mean by that, even if something that God don't mind you doing, you're still wrong because you're doing it out of self-service, not service to him. Because we don't use our freedom, our liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Everybody with me? Now we're going to go to 2 Corinthians. We're going to walk this thing on down. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to get a famous, famous verse here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's start at verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 12. And this is Paul's statement. It says, seeing that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, and to this day remained the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. 
Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. This is heaven. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I might going to say that like a whole other time, but this is one of them. And the reason I like this one is because how many of y'all have heard that scripture before? That where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We, we all used to that. And most of the time, what we think about when people talk about that is we can come in church and jump and spin around and dance and do all that stuff. And you free, freedom. Thank that Eddie James. I'm saying we do all that. <laughs> we got that. But how many of you have ever read and paid attention to the context of that scripture? Not many of us. They don't put the context in the song. They just take the words out. And this is what's going on in here. Paul is making a contrast between what we have in the New Testament and what they had in the Old Testament. And the picture he's making references to is when Moses came down off the mountain. Moses spent all that time with God. And when Moses came down, it said his face was shining. He got revelation from God. He'd been in the very presence of God. Him and God talking face to face. And the glory that was on God got on Moses. So Moses' face was shining. And when he came down to talk to the people and tell them what God said, they couldn't really pay attention because his face was glowing. And what he ended up doing is he put a veil over his face to hide the glow and the glory that was on his face so that he could talk to the people. And what Paul has done is he allegorized this. He took this to, to teach a lesson. And what he's saying is now that when the Jews read Moses, the veil that Moses put on his face is on their hearts. So they can't see the glory of God that's in the scriptures. That's what he's saying. And you see this through Jesus. We say he talked to, to them in parables that in hearing they may not hear and seeing they may not see that their hearts may be darkened. And what the picture is, is there certain things that these people can't see because of their relationship to God. And what Paul is saying is this goes back to Moses, that there was a glory that came from the message of God, that these people couldn't behold his glory. So Moses put a veil over his face to, to, to separate them from the glory of God. And what he's saying is now that we, it turns to the Lord. So now that we are in Christ, that veil is taken away. So that thing that separated, that create darkness, that allowed us to not understand the word of the God, to not to see the glory of God in the scriptures, it has been removed. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have been free from the veil that creates darkness over our heart. So now we can see the glory of God in the scriptures. We can behold the face of God through these scriptures. We can see the revelation of God himself when we turn to this book because Christ has set us free. And that's freedom from the darkness and that's freedom from the veil that kept them from understanding it. And he says, now that we're in the Lord, but we all with an open face, without veil, without being separated, as in a glass, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into that same image from glory to glory. And what he's saying, the freedom that we have in Christ is the freedom to look in these scriptures, to see the glory of God, and it's just like looking in the mirror. And what he's saying is, as you look, you yourself are being transformed into that same glory. That's deep. So this is the liberty that we have. And this is the one I hold on to the most. I have the freedom 
to go to the scriptures to allow God's glory to radiate upon me and transform me into that same glory. And so you have the freedom to look like Jesus. Y'all understand that? You have the freedom to look like Jesus. And all it takes of you is with an open face, with nothing hindering you, going to these scripts and allowing the scripts to manifest the glory of God to you and allowing that same glory to radiate on you just like it did on Moses. So you can get the same thing Moses got, except just not in the covering that's going to fade away, but truly in your heart that's going to last eternally. You can look like Jesus just by beholding him through these pages. That's the freedom that you have. That's deep. And it even gets even better because the thing that kept them from understanding was the veil. That veil has been removed, so now you can get it. Please don't let nobody tell you that this book too hard for you to understand. That is too deep. That's a lie. The spirit that wrote the book lives inside of you. And you have the ability to commune with him. So the same spirit that wrote the book lives inside of you and he can tell you what he wrote in the book. He can explain it to you. And through his explanation of those things to you, you're going to see the glory of God and you're going to be changed. That's the freedom that you have. No longer should you be bound and think that I got to go to these teachers and think that I got to go to all these rituals and these routines and think that I'm going to be stuck in this rut to somebody help me get out of it. Is there anything wrong with help? No. We all need some help sometimes. But don't think that you're bound by the help of other people. You got access to the same spirit that brought radiance to Moses and he can bring that same glory to you. You free to get it. Can't, ain't nothing holding you back. You free to get it. That's the freedom that we have in the Lord. So when our next time we say our freedom, we need to get a whole new mind. And we not should see ourselves not just feeling not feeling bad, not just feeling free to, to sing and raise our hand and not be shamed, but the whole while we beholding him, we should see ourselves being transformed. Everything in me that's not right, I should see myself just being renewed and remade and, and, and being just made a brand new creation because I got the freedom to be and to see Christ. So as I behold him, I become like him. That's my freedom in Christ. Are y'all understanding me? So whatever your liberty is, don't use it as an occasion to your flesh. Don't use it as an excuse to why you get to be angry. Don't use it as an excuse to why you get to be evil, to wicked, and to do all the sinful things that you really want to do in your own little heart. That's a lie. And whatever your liberty is, don't use it as an excuse to separate you from people. Because God has called us to a family, and we don't use our liberty to bite and devour one another, but to serve each other. Everybody with me. And what this true freedom is, it's a true freedom and a liberation for me to get to Christ. I'm going to look at one last one. And we'll be done. First Corinthians chapter 10. And this is a tough one to, to play with. What I going all the way back to chapter 9. All right. We'll start at verse 16. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 16 said the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ the bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ 
For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all are partakers of that bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar. What say I then? That the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. But I say that the things what the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And what I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table in the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now what Paul is talking about in here. Is this was a big cultural thing. It shows up a couple of times throughout the scriptures. Here, and he, this is most detailed he deal with it in Romans chapter 14. And what was going on is, is that in the Gentiles nations, you know, they had their pagan temples. When they made sacrifices, see, the, the Gentile must have been from the hood. Because when they made sacrifices, they'll take the meat and package it up and sell it. So they'll go and they'll praise Jupiter or whoever it is they praise and they bring their sacrifices, then they'll take the, the, the pork chop off that thing or whatever it is they were bringing, the ham hock, neck bones and all that stuff, and they'll package it up and bring it to the market and sell it. And what you had, this division was, is that people were getting saved. When they're saying, I used to worship that idol. I ain't down with that no more. So don't even bring me no meat from that market because I know what they're doing with that meat. And Paul is making this contrast that when the Gentiles sacrifice, we know what they're sacrificing unto. Now, this is what things get a little murky at. Because if you just take the normal teaching on this thing, what the idea is, is that you're free. If you want to eat that meat from the market, you can eat it. If you want to take the meat off the sacrifice and, and, and make you a, a, a gordita or burrito or whatever it is you want to get. See, they, they Greek, so they were drinking. What it is? Gyros or gyros. Do you want to get you some of them? You can do that. But Paul did this strange thing. He argued against that. Because what he's saying is, is that when they sacrifice, they sacrifice the devil, but we belong to the Lord. And we don't have no fellowship with devils. Then he put heaviness on it. Say, are you stronger than the Lord? What do you mean by that? He's flashing back to Deuteronomy 32 where the God was talking about them provoking him to jealousy. And he's saying, that are you strong enough to provoke God to anger and stand up to it? The answer is no. Like, so we don't fool around with devils. So stuff that's connected to the devil, we don't partake in it. But hold up, Paul, I thought you said we free. And we know that our devil, I mean, an idol ain't nothing. That is what he said. And he's going to explain to you why he made this conclusion. In verse 23, he says, all things are lawful unto me, for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not edify. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's. Got the same thing. So when we're looking to benefit, when we're looking to edify, he's like, don't look out for yourself. Look out for everybody else. Everybody with me. Because this is very important to understand this. So whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What do you mean by sold in the shambles? It's sold in the market. So when you, what he's telling them, when you go out to the market and you buy the meat, don't ask them where it come from. And the idea is if you don't know that it's been sacrificed to an idol, you don't know that it's been sacrificed to an idol. So when you go out to eat, 
I mean, the bio meat. Don't ask them where it come from. Because the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. What he's saying is ultimately all of it come from God. So you ain't got nothing to worry about. Everybody understand that. Now he's going to switch this thing up. In 27. And if any man that believe not bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that shoot it and for conscience sake for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof conscience I say not thine own but of the other for why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience what he's saying is if somebody bring you to their house and you know that they ain't, they ain't Christian they get down with the, the, the devil worshiping all that other stuff when they give you something to eat he's telling you eat it and don't ask did you sacrifice this to Jupiter he said don't ask that question it said, the reason you don't ask is for conscience sake. And the way we normally take that is, if I don't know it, it come from the devil, then that means I can't feel bad about it. But that ain't what Paul is saying. Because he say, if they tell you it comes from the, the temple or come from an idol, don't eat it because of conscience sake. But when I say conscience sake, I'm not talking about your own conscience. I'm talking about the conscience of the one who bidded you. And the idea he painted is, is that you are a representative of the Lord. And these people, in their mind and in their heart, they are serving another idol. So when they open up and tell you that I didn't sacrifice this to Jupiter, don't you partake in it. And it ain't even for you, it's for them. Because you don't want them to believe that you down with Jupiter. And he asked the question, sarcastically, why is my liberty judged by another? And the point he painted is, if whatever our understanding of liberty is, we have to hold ourselves to the conscience and the representation of those around us. Because I said, the earth is the Lord, the full and the earth, all meat come from God. It's what Paul's saying, but he's arguing against eating the meat that is offered to the idol but not on the basis of that you're going to go to hell if you eat it but on the basis of you are misrepresenting God by your association with these people when you do so so when you they know and they let you know that this is where this come from and you do it anyway you are telling these people that this is okay because you're associating yourself with something that is evil that you ain't supposed to be dealing with everybody understand what I'm saying it's just like it's certain pictures and images I won't wear. I wear very few names and logos. I don't like them. I'm not going to pay no man to stamp his name across my chest. That's part of my ethnicity. <laughs> but there's certain associations I don't want to be connected with. Because as we travel throughout these worlds, although to us it may mean nothing, in certain circles, certain things mean a whole, whole lot. And I don't want to have to get over the hurdle of always explaining to these people how I can do certain things. Give an example. A kid at my job, they ain't got the little games and all that little stuff. And it shocked them when they find out that I'm a little project baby. I know exactly what you're talking about because all that stuff was around me. 
So the date, February the 15th, 2019, we write that 215.19. Now there's a certain segment of the population that's in a gang. Well, that represents something. It's called, it stands for boss. They take the alphabets and take the numerical number and put it together, and that's how they get 215.19, B-O-S, boss, brothers of the struggle. Uh, you might sometimes see B-O-S-S. But in this time and age, when it was 215.19, the calendar was perfect, and you got boss wrote everywhere in their mind. But in my mind, I'm conscious of that. So what I do is write out <laughs> February the 15th, 2019, now, is that extra? Am I being evil if I just wrote 215.19? No. But just to dig at them little dudes who once they know that I know a little somebody gained it, no, nah, dog, I'm going to get down like that. I go that extra mile. Now, that's a, a four-out example. But it's a consciousness that we have, and it's an obligation that we have to not allow ourselves to be connected to certain associations, not for ourselves, but for the conscience of the people who we are around. Y'all, are y'all with me? So there's certain, like I said, certain images I don't get down with. I live around a lot of weed heads. I work around a lot of weed heads. You'll never see me with a Bob Marley shirt on. Never. You can buy me one. And I will refuse to wear it because there's a social connection with that that I'm not down with. Because if I'm rolling with my weed heads, if I show up at work with my weed heads with my Bob Marley shirt in, now I start to get daps and I start to get praised. And they're going to tell me, I knew you. You ain't know me nothing. <laughs> Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? But can I wear a Bob Marley shirt if I want to? I won't go to hell for wearing a Bob Marley shirt. But there is a representation that I refuse to connect with. Even down to, I like rap. I was born in the 80s. To where rap began to take off. So a little boom and a little bap. A little rhythm in the talk. That, that appeals to me. And I bump it quite often. And I cannot get good speakers in the car because I would get a ticket because I bump it quite loudly. So I have to read them same bad old factory speakers to keep me from getting a ticket. Because I come from an era where would people beat down the block and have my mama in there fussing because the man pulled up with the music and knocking pictures off the wall. That stuff, that stuff appealed to me. But there are certain times and certain settings where I go, well, I'll turn my rap music now. Why would you do that? Because certain people make certain connections with certain things that I don't want them to connect me with. And I ain't got time to be arguing with folks about how I only listen to rap that talk about Jesus. Because when I'm with certain people, certain people of different ethnicities, and they hear the boom and they hear the bap, they see a thug. They don't care what they say. They hear the boom, they hear the bap, they see a thug. And I'm already, in my culture, a big black dude, <laughs> just to be plain. I'm branded already. That's what I am. When I get out at the gas station to pump gas, I'm a big black dude out there pumping gas. 
So when I approach people, I'm a big black dude approaching people. That's the way the culture has branded me. And so what I have to do is be conscious of that label and I cannot feed into it any other way. Because it creates all types. Because like I said, I walk up to a little old lady, especially if she's a light-skinned lady, and I try to be nice and want to pray for her, I want to minister to her. It's over with already because I'm a big black dude. So I had to put a super smile on my face. I had to be very, very nice. I have to stay back at a far distance and do everything in my mind to keep them feeling safe and comfortable. Now just imagine me, a big black dude, getting out of the car at the gas station, roll up on a light-skinned American, and I got the boom banger. And it, it may, it's talking about Jesus. I got Jay Black in that thing banging. Talking about how sweet it is, but it's banging up in there. Immediately once I step out my car and begin to approach, they're going to get back in theirs. And they ain't going to need gas no more. <laughs> so am I free to bang my music? Yes, I am. But do I have to be conscious of social and cultural connections? Yes, I do. And I bind myself to this freedom because I'm not here to serve me. I'm here to serve people. And it works the same way in this family. We're here to serve one another. And we have to be conscious of one another as we relate to each other. That whatever your freedom is, don't use it for yourself. Use your freedom to serve your brother and your sister in Christ. And we can hold ourselves to one another consciousness. Because we exist as a family. And I don't do nothing that can be an affront to any sister or any brother in here and claim that, well, I'm a Christian. She can't judge me. No, I'm a Christian. I must serve her. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And that's the part of our true liberty in Christ. Anybody got any questions? Go ahead. So when you were talking about earlier, how slaves, how they're like, um, how they're like beating up each other. Why did they do that? Why did they do that? Well, when you go in history, in, in Jerusalem, there was the Romans took over. And what the Romans did was they enslaved the Jews, but it wasn't slavery like we know in America. Basically, they made them pay taxes, and they took over their government. They took them apart. So they had put oppression on them. And what happened was when Jesus came, and once his disciples began to preach, those Jews took what little bit of power they had and began to beat and persecute the Christians. Now, they wouldn't attack the Romans who were worshiping false gods, but they attacked the Christians who they claimed was worshiping a false god, even though they were reading from the same book and talking about the same god that they were want to. So that's why they was doing it, because they hated them and they couldn't do nothing to the Romans, so they just beat up on them, because there's more of us than it is of them, and there's too many of them for us to fight against them, so we're just going to beat up on y'all. Any other? When they were um, like discussing the case of Jesus being crucified, why did they send him to Pilate? Okay. Because of the same thing. Like I said the Jews were not in control of their own city at the time. They lived there. They had some freedoms, but Rome was in control. And they wanted to put him to death, but according to their customs, they couldn't. So they sent them to Pilate because he was like the governor in that region at the time. So they needed him to convict him so that they can put him to death because they couldn't do it. Is it? Go ahead. 
I'm not sure how to put this, but you're talking about, I know that Jesus is a fulfillment of the law, right? That's mm-hmm. according to the New Testament. Um, does does that mean that none of them apply? You know, the ones that, the 600 and something laws, is that the ones they're talking about where the, you know, where they wore the fringes and all that stuff? Is that what they're talking about? Everything in there? Because I know some of it still makes sense to me, like the pork and, you know, eating certain foods and things because it's not healthy even to this day. But I always wondered about, you know, to what extent did that mean? Okay, I understand the question. This is something we're going to wrestle with for a good long time. No, it's fine. Because <laughs> it might be a minute before we make it there. But what they were talking about were those things. But the separation comes in this. Is that the Jews put those things in connection with salvation. And what they were telling these people, we understand that you're a Gentile and you've never been circumcised. But if you want to be saved, you got to be circumcised because that's what Moses told us. So if you really want to be with us, you got to be circumcised. And what Paul was saying is that ain't right. That if you really want to be free, now if you want to go get circumcised, you can. You're free to do so. But don't think by getting circumcised that you're fulfilling some lot higher level of righteousness because you're not. Because with Christ, circumcision or uncircumcision mean anything. And it goes the same goes with all the rest of the law. If you want to abstain from pork, if you want to do all the laws that are in there, well, you can't do all of them. But if you want to follow as much of them as you can, you can. You have that freedom to do so. But don't think by doing so, you are achieving some higher level of righteousness because you're not. Because we still have that today because you got some deep Christians who you see walking around with their shawl around their neck and got their little seep seeps on their blue jeans. And they're and they, and they bringing you back into that same bondage. But that's not what he's talking about. So as much of that stuff as you want to follow, you can follow. But you can do it out of your own heart and your own love and obedience to Christ. Not thinking that you're reaching something like, I'm getting deep now. I'm saying I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm finna you get your little tassels on your clothes. If you, if you want to do that, that's fine. But <laughs> that's that's where the, the, the separation came from. And as we get in it, the basic idea is Christ brought fulfillment to all those things. So there's a truer application to each and every one of those things that you already are obeying as long as you're walking in the spirit. You just don't realize it. You, you get what I'm saying? Now, but James told you to walk as those who shall be judged by the perfect law of liberty. And when he was talking about the perfect law of liberty, he was talking about Moses' law. But he referred to it as the law of liberty. And he's telling you to walk like you're going to be judged by it. And he told us that we should be hearers of the word. and not, I mean, not just hearers, but doers only. Because once we look into the perfect law of liberty, talking about the same Moses thing, that we behold in our faces in a glass. So we are living out those things. But the picture in the New Testament is... It's through the spirit of God that we fulfill all of it. And it is not through the straining of the external that we got to do all those things. But one to leave you and just picture where we're going is you take them 613 as some people classified to be. The vast majority of those are tied to the temple. There is no temple. So you can't fulfill them. Even church folks who want to teach you to tithe. You can't even tithe biblically. Even if we take the wrong teaching of tithing, that tithing is bring your thing to the church. You can't do it and fulfill Moses' law. Because in Moses' law, at least once, you had to bring your tithes and take it to the temple in Jerusalem for a feast. We ain't got no temple in Jerusalem. And you're supposed to eat your tithe with the widows and the orphans in your gate and the Levites. 
So you're supposed to bring your tithe, have a party in Jerusalem, and feed the poor people. You can't do that. Now, how often you went to church and they tell you, everybody get your tithe money together, and we're going to stop by Jim and Nick's on your way, and just pick up whatever homely person you see, and anybody you know that's a widow, bring them to church with you, and we're going to get down. And how we going to pay for it? With your tithe money. Don't bring it. You bring it to the church. But when you get to church, buy a feast and we're going to get whatever you like. So if you like beef ribs because you deep, get you some beef ribs. Get you some ham hock, whatever it is you want to eat. Ain't nobody ever told you that. Because we can't obey that part. Because that part is connected to the temple. And there's a whole bunch of those laws that we can't do. And if God really wanted us to continue to do them, God has some explaining to do. Why you didn't give us the temple back then, God? You destroyed it way back in 70 AD and it ain't been no sign ever since. That's a long time ago. In 50 more years, that's going to be 2,000 years since there was a temple. Any other questions? That's it. They all yours.